listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, I don't often pause to explain this, but there are a lot of uh, things that we consider uh, in terms of our worship and the songs that we sing and those sorts of things. Uh, And like every area of our ministry here, we want our worship to be biblically based, uh, to be Christ-centered, and to be gospel-driven. And so together we were just singing the gospel. Uh, talking about um, the theme of our lives being essentially the gospel. Uh, There are a lot of things that you can make kind of the theme of your life, uh, and you probably all have friends, and you would go, yep, know what their theme is, yeah, know what they're all about, yep, pretty sure that's the priority of their life, that's what drives them. Uh, My hope and prayer is that for each of us who claim uh, to be followers of Jesus Christ, that it would be ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what should drive us in our relationships, uh, our passions, our priorities. Um, wow, I could uh, talk about that for a while. I uh, use this example often. Scripture tells us multiple times that we are to guard our hearts. And the reason for that is because our passions, the things that we are most passionate about, the things that we love the most, will determine our priorities. And our priorities ultimately determine our path. Uh, and so we should be very careful about those things that we love. Uh, and that uh, we are passionate about. Well, let's be passionate this morning about the Word of God. Amen. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to echo what Jace said earlier uh, and how incredibly proud I was and am of so many who made yesterday's uh, ladies' retreat a possibility. There was a, a lot of preparation, a lot of work that went in on the front end, and then on the day of, obviously, a lot of work. And even had some uh, smelly dudes show up uh, after the ladies were done, and we put all this back. Uh, and so, in fact, I was really, really thinking we were going to be up here a while, and we had it all back together in just about an hour. And so, it was good. I actually got to eat a little bit of that chick, chicken salad for chicks, but um, I'll turn in my man card. That stuff was good, man. I'm just going to tell you. Um, I would eat that again, and so Casey, you and I can go to the uh, chicken salad chick one day, and maybe not. We'll take our wives, okay? <laughs> Let's, uh, anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're in a Sunday morning series walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. This, of course, is a letter from the uh, Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, and in this letter, Paul addresses no less than 10 significant major issues in the church. Uh, last week, we covered all of chapter 5. Uh, where Paul addressed the issues of sexual immorality and specifically a case of incest in the church at Corinth and uh, also then uh, kind of in a broader sort of way the subject of church discipline. Now this week uh, we'll start into chapter 6 by looking at verses 1 through 11. Uh, In this particular case the problem that is plaguing the Corinthian church uh, has to do with believers suing one another. Usually for petty disputes within the fellowship of the local church, and they were doing this in what would amount to the civil courts uh, of that day. And Paul is writing them to challenge them to address that problem. And so as we move along in this letter, uh, you've probably noticed that it seems as if the issues which Paul is addressing are becoming more specific uh, and weightier in nature. In fact, 
Uh, I would just uh, simply say to you parents with younger kids, uh, you may be thinking about next week when we typically have Family Worship Sunday, and we will still do that. Um, if you haven't already gotten some communication from our children's director, Emily, uh, you will this week uh, because we're going to continue to address some of these issues. And while we're certainly not going to be graphic or inappropriate in any way, uh, it may uh, raise some questions and start some conversations that you're not ready to have with your young ones, okay? So just bear that in mind. So there will be something for them next week uh, across the street. Okay, so I just wanted to set your mind at ease. If you start reading ahead a little bit here, it's like, how's he going to talk about that next week with my kids in here? Um, so just uh, know that you will have an alternative unless, of course, you're ready to have some of those conversations and then Good luck with that. That's all I'm going to say <laughs> at any rate. Uh, well, as we try to think through Paul's teaching here, I think there are two preliminary issues that I think will help us understand the text. And so let's look at it together. First Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to take uh, this sixth chapter in two parts. So today we'll read verses 1 through 11. It says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that, there are, uh, that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brothers go to law against brother. And that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with another, with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In case you're getting proud, reading that list, thinking, that's not me. He says in verse 11, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So many times when we're trying to, to gain a clearer understanding of a particular text, it's a good idea for, asked, for us to ask ourselves, what is the text not saying? Uh, what is it not saying? And so I think we need to do that here. Um, Paul is not saying here in these first eight verses particularly that matters of criminal law ought to be kept quiet and handled internally by the church. Uh, if you've paid attention to the news in recent years, you know the devastating effects of that kind of activity. Uh, there have been cases brought before uh, that have been brought up and church leaders for various reasons in an effort to, as they will sometimes say, to protect the reputation of the ministry or to re protect the reputation of the accused and these sorts of things. They will try to keep it hush-hush, keep it quiet, and try to handle it internally and not take it to law enforcement. That is a colossally bad idea, and that is not what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. In fact, in the context of our legal system, we are uh, what is referred to as mandatory reporters. 
Okay, so to do otherwise would be grossly negligent. And I want you to understand that as we look at the text here. Paul is not suggesting that embezzlement or abuse or matters of that nature should be kept out of the courts or uh, out of the law. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself was ready to invoke his legal rights uh, as a Roman citizen and appeal to the courts of justice for, for recourse. He tells us in Romans chapter 13 that the civil magistrates, uh, they're God's minister, his servant, ordained by God, appointed for our good. And so Paul is not saying here that we shouldn't appeal to the law of the land, particularly in criminal matters. And so this is primarily uh, an issue related to civil courts and civil uh, justice. Now, what you've got to understand is these frivolous lawsuits uh, that Paul is addressing are yet another area in which the recently converted Corinthians... The best estimates tell us that they, many of these, uh, these Corinthian believers had only been followers of Christ for like three years based upon the time when the church at Corinth was planted. And so they are still embracing the values of their pagan culture. And so this section really flows right out of the end of chapter 5. Uh, the church there, we're told, and we looked at it last week, is responsible to practice church discipline, to essentially, uh, in a biblical way, to judge church members. And, it, and then it closes by saying, particularly the greedy and swindlers. And so in first century Roman society, those who took others to court typically had high social rank. One who is socially inferior uh, would rarely, if ever, uh, sue his superior. Someone who is socially superior, financially superior particularly. And so instead, a person sued his social equal or inferior. They accepted bribes and ruled in favor of friends and those with a higher social standing. And so the whole judicial system favored the elite those with the most power, those with the most influence, those with the most wealth. And so the higher one's social status, the higher his legal privilege. It's not completely unlike our judicial system throughout our history. It seems that at Corinth, church members were forgetting their obligation to, as Christians to forgive one another, to love each other, to practice patience with one another. And instead, they were using the courts to, to, to kind of score points, as it were to make money, to gain a competitive advantage in business and in society at the expense even of brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you can imagine, that was wreaking havoc in the fellowship of the Corinthian church. Can you imagine coming into the place of worship and just earlier that week you had been opponents in a court of law? One the accused, one the... I mean, what that would do to the fellowship within a local body of believers? So that's the first thing to keep in mind as we work through... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 here. Paul is not despising the proper use of the legal process when necessary. He is challenging the kind of misuse of it for selfish and malicious ends that were common in Corinth, in that culture. The second preliminary matter that's going to help us understand Paul's message here has to do with how odd it seems that verses 1 through 8 are within the context of his letter. Uh, when you place them in the context of, of, of this part of the letter. Now, in chapter 5, remember, Paul dealt with a very particular and difficult case of sexual immorality. He talked about church discipline for the sexually immoral and unrepentant. Then in the second half of chapter 6, if you, you look ahead a little bit here, you'll see that your, most of your Bibles probably have a heading, uh, something along the lines of flee sexual immorality. So it's like he's going to revisit that subject. 
Uh, and yet, right here, plunked right in the middle of all of this discourse on, on sexual immorality and everything, you've got this teaching on suing one another. So it makes you kind of go, what in the world? I think there are a couple of things to keep in mind that may help us kind of answer that question and make sense of this. First of all, remember that in chapter 5, Paul called the Corinthians to exercise church discipline. And this wasn't the first time he was uh, challenging them to do so. And the reason for that was because they'd been reluctant to do so. And so here's the deal. He, he's, 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 he's creating kind of this weird contrast. He's saying, on one hand, you are reluctant to exercise church discipline in the case of gross, scandalous, public sexual immorality on the part of one of your members. So in chapter 5, refusing to take the necessary uh, spiritual action against real sin... But yet here in chapter 6, how's this for contrast? They seem all too happy to take unnecessary, malicious, legal, judicial action simply in order to make a quick buck or to get a one-up on, on even fellow brothers and sisters. So those two things don't seem to fit together too well, do they? There's a contrast, a contradiction, and we need to feel the sting of it. He, he, what, he, what he's basically doing is saying, look at the hypocrisy of this. You're reluctant to take care of real issues over here that really need to be dealt with. And remember we said that one of the reasons it was uh, very likely that it was not dealt with was because the particular offender uh, was one who had high social standing. There was this definite pecking order in that day uh, that, that dictated a lot of things. And so, uh, so he's saying, in contrast here, you're taking these trivial matters. Things that we would go, what, what is this? This should be just be thrown. This should be taken care of. It doesn't have to go to the courts. That's, what, that's not what they were doing. And the other reason that it seems to, to kind of come in a weird order for us is very likely Paul was responding to some of these issues in the same order in which they came to him. Remember, 1 Corinthians is really a response. This is not the only correspondence that, had, that Paul had with the church at Corinth. And so he is very likely kind of going down the list and responding to some issues uh, that had come his way. And so he's, he's, he's kind of going down the list here in that particular sense. So again, in chapters 1 through 4, uh, he addresses division primarily and some other issues there. And then as it comes, and what he is really doing, he's saying no matter the issue, uh, whatever the issue is, the answer, the antidote is uh, exactly the same. And so he applies the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified to the hearts and lives of the believers at Corinth. And he says, if you really get this, if this really begins to penetrate and rewire and reconfigure your thinking from the ground up, then everything else will change too. The real issue at Corinth has to do with their failure to understand and apply the gospel. That's the heart of the matter. Now, about you, but if, if you've ever had a, a medical issue um, and you go see your doctor, it's serious enough that you feel like, man, I need to go see my physician about this. Okay? You don't want them to just simply deal with symptoms. Right? If, if it's a fairly significant thing, you, you, hopefully you kind of want them to press into that enough that we discover what, what is the cause of this. I want to take care of the cause of this. And that's really what Paul is getting at here. It's that you're suffering from this condition. And I like the way one commentator put it. He said the Corinthians were suffering from gospel amnesia. They were suffering from gospel amnesia. We do the same thing. I think of that movie that came out a number of years ago now, While You Were Sleeping. Remember the movie? Sandra Bullock plays a young gal named Lucy who was a transit worker. 
Uh, worked in the ticket booth there. She had been noticing this one particular gentleman for some time and had developed a crush on him and so forth. And as fate would have it, of course, he is involved in an accident. She pulls him to safety, saves his life. But as a result of the accident, he is in a coma and develops a, a bad case of amnesia. So Bullock's character does everything she can uh, through a series of events to convince his family that she is his fiance. Uh, cute story. Cute story, right? Yeah, and most of you like, yeah, and she later fell in love with Jack, the brother, right? Okay. Um, well, the Corinthians here were acting as if something similar had happened to them. They're suffering from gospel amnesia. The good news about Jesus, their new identity in Christ, has been overlooked and ignored and forgotten in situation after situation. And if you look at our text, you'll see Paul making that point with his repeated questions. You notice how many questions he asks here in chapter 6, just in those few verses? Questions, they're an important tool when you're trying to communicate something. Especially if you're challenging your listener or your reader to think. You will ask probing questions. And that's what Paul does here in chapter 6. You'll notice he said, do you not know? How many times does he say that? What he's indicating is this diagnosis of gospel amnesia. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Verse 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? Verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There are things that you ought to know. Paul had taught them. Cephas, remember, had taught them. Apollos had taught them. Others had opened the scriptures to them. Paul had, had previously written to them. So they had been well taught in many of these things. These are things they ought to know, but they seem to have forgotten much like the children of Israel, if you study their history and you see the crazy cycle of the people of Israel. I mean, they would, they would be reminded of God's blessings and God's goodness and his provision and his promises and all those things. And then they would quickly forget those things, right? They too suffered from a form of spiritual amnesia. And so in particular, they are beginning to sue one another with behavior more reminiscent of their old life than the new life that ought to characterize them as Christians. And so Paul asks in verse number one, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? That's who they are now. They are saints. That is, they are holy ones. They are set apart by the grace and work of God in their lives unto the Lord Jesus Christ. They are designated as his and they ought no longer to live according to the values of the world, but now according to the values of King Jesus to whom they belong. They were struggling with a problem that I know many of us struggle with as well. They're struggling to throw off the old habits and patterns and values of their previous life. Listen for just a moment to the way one scholar describes how law courts worked in the Corinthians world. He says, in deciding to sue, one first had to calculate the cost and the chances of winning, not on the basis of the merits of the case, but on the defendant's social status and powerful connections. Sounds pretty corrupt, doesn't it? He goes on to write, people in the ancient world contended for honor in the low courts, in the law courts, and one gained honor by beating down a rival. So the pursuit of litigation often had little to do with the pursuit of justice. Now that was a problem at Corinth. They weren't interested in justice. 
They weren't interested in, what they were more interested in was personal advancement in society at the expense of others who threatened their standing in some way. I'm going to beat you down in a court of law, essentially, is what they were doing. And whether they were believers or not made no difference to them. So their trivial cases, as Paul calls them in verse number two, they reek of pride and snobbery as they operated in the same old way that they did before they became Christians. They had gospel amnesia. They'd forgotten that now they are in Christ. Now that Jesus has rescued them, they are new creatures. They are to live a new life in the context of the fellowship of God's new community, the church of Jesus Christ. should be different. And so Paul fundamentally treats this amnesia with, with, with three, in three steps, three ways that our true gospel identity should shape who we are. You'll notice in verses 1 through 3, he speaks about our future, where we're going now that we're Christians, our destiny. Then in verses 4 through 8, he speaks uh, about the present, calls us to face up to how we are living now, despite the fact that we are Christians. And then finally, in verses 9 through 11, he speaks about the past. So if we can grasp these, Paul is saying here, we will begin to recover a true sense of who we are as men and women in Christ, and that'll change everything. It'll change everything. So notice, first of all, our future destiny. Our future destiny. Paul points us to the future here, where we're going now that we are Christians. He will argue that the Christian community ought to be able to to mediate in disputes internally and bring about reconciliation between believing brothers and sisters without the need to go to the civil courts in these matters. And he's essentially saying the church... The people of God, after all, it's a society unlike any other, endowed with the Spirit of God, sinners saved by grace, clinging to Christ. And he will ask in verse number 5, Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? And most commentators would agree, at least on some, some level, that he's using a tinge of sarcasm there. Because what is one of the things that the Corinthians struggled with? It was pride spiritual arrogance. And so it's almost as if Paul is saying here, in light of your, your uh, spiritual arrogance, in, in, in light of your pride, isn't there someone among you wise enough to settle these frivolous disputes? The church ought to be able to do that. But here in verses 1 through 3, he tells us why we ought to settle the issues internally when believers fall out and disagree. And it will happen. It'll happen. One of the things that I love most about the church, about the bride of Christ is that we're all different. God brings all these different people together from all different backgrounds and all different, I mean, so many things, just so unique. It's almost like this, you know, this, this patchwork, this quilt. And all of our lives are made up of these different pieces and, and different parts of our background. And I, I grew up in a particular tribe of the church that, that some of you would find really weird. Okay, uh, and, then, and I know others of you grew up in, in different ways and in different cultures and different contexts, and all of those things make up who we are. We're unique. We're different. Some of you grew up up north, and that's just kind of weird to some of us who grew up in the south, and I know that those of you who grew up in the north, you find us southerners a little weird, and, so, and this, this community is growing all the time. With all these different backgrounds all coming together. And so sometimes we're going to view things a little differently. And sometimes we might even uh, find disagreement on some issues. But how do we handle that? How how do we deal with that? Hopefully we deal with it in a Christ-like way. 
We can keep it here. So he points us to this future destiny, and he's, he's drawing again this incredible contrast. He's saying, don't you know that your future destiny involves you ruling and reigning and judging with Christ? And you can't even handle these trivial little matters in this life? What in the world? And so the background there are passages like Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, words of Jesus where he told his disciples that, that they would sit with him on thrones judging Israel and the new creation. The Old Testament scriptures, Daniel chapter 7, the prophet saw one like the Son of Man being given dominion and authority and a kingdom. And then in verse number 27 of that same chapter, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms and of the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. He's saying, this is what you're destined for. But you sure aren't living like that now. You sure are not living that way. We will ultimately reign and rule and judge right along with uh, Jesus Christ. That is our exalted and glorious future destiny. But the Corinthians, Paul says, in contrast, are occupying their attention with trivial cases, even though they are to judge even angels one day. Surely, even here and now, this side of eternity, he says, in matters pertaining to this life, the church, with a destiny like this, should be able to work things out among fellow believers. Remember where you're going, he says. Remember your future destiny. Remember the high dignity and the exalted role that you will one day fulfill in the courtroom of heaven itself. You will be a judge. You who one day will sit with Christ in the final tribunal. Do you use the world's tactics in such a carnal, fleshly way to advance your own status here, even at the expense and to the wounding of those who will serve with you as brothers and sisters on that final day? It just doesn't make sense. So Paul makes an appeal. He says, remember your destiny and live in its light. Our future, where we're going now that we're Christians then he says, consider your present reality. Paul doesn't pull any punches here. <laughs> oh, Paul confronts this stuff. Their gospel amnesia means that their identity in Christ has ceased to function and operate in a meaningful way in their thinking or in their living. The fact that they were brothers and sisters through faith in Jesus, that they were family, ought to have made all the difference. But instead, they were arguing their case before those who have no standing even in the church. And then Paul says in verse number 5, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. To your shame, he says. Surely the church has the basic competence and the gifts that it needs among its leaders to help settle basic and petty disputes. Someone is wise enough, surely. Again, you'll remember the Corinthians were boasting in their superior wisdom. And so Paul says, well then, if you're so wise, isn't there someone to help mediate between disagreeing believers. And this is a significant issue because he, 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 he ties it all in with gospel victory and defeat. This is a huge thing. Instead, they were going before unbelievers, the unrighteous, for a decision. And he says in verse number 7 that it is, that is already a defeat for you. It would be better for you to even be defrauded. It would be better for you to suffer wrong than to do this. Now, why is it a, def a defeat for Christians to act like this? It's a defeat because the gospel says that to belong to Jesus is to become a brother or sister with people with whom you might otherwise have absolutely nothing in common. 
You don't relate to them. You don't get them. They don't get you, their background, their ethnicity, their pedigree. All those things may be all entirely alien to you, outside of your comfort zone. But now, all of that notwithstanding, now you have become one with them in Christ. One. Now you're family. Brothers and sisters, bound together in the sacred bonds of gospel love. And so now you must forgive. Now you must turn the other cheek when necessary. Practice patience. And when you do that and the world watches as relationships come under pressure, and they will, and and, and tend to fracture and fragment and turn sour and ugly, when the church instead pursues one another in love and seeks reconciliation, Paul says that is gospel victory. What does scripture tell us? The world will know we are followers of Christ. Why? By our love. By our love for one another. That doesn't mean just when it's easy. Just when it's easy. I I recognize there are times I'm not easy to love. Sometimes I get puffed up and I get prideful and and I I look at things the wrong way and, and I respond wrong. All those things. And I'm so thankful that over the last 30-some years of ministry, there have been people who've been incredibly patient with their pastor. And incredibly forgiving and long-suffering. Not one to take things that, that, that should be able to be handled internally and take care of it in a Christ-like, biblical sort of way. Let's make this thing, it gets blown up into the, the society that we live in. It does so much damage to the cause of Christ. It becomes gospel defeat. So instead of gospel victory, as the watching world sees what grace does, we see people in this particular case throwing lawsuits around and dragging one another into the public courts and shaming one another and bringing the gospel into disrepute. It's defeat. When the world around us collapses into tribalism, in case you hadn't noticed recently, it's kind of happening, right? I find that I feel like our world is more divided than it's ever been before in some respects. And you've got this distrust and all these sorts of things, petty grievances. And those things can harden into long-term feuds and, and settled grudges that take root deep within a person's soul. When the world acts like this and the people of God pursue instead peace and reconciliation, seeking to live at peace with one another as much as it depends on them, that is different. And that's been magnified in the last year. This seems like almost every other day there's a new issue for us to disagree upon. (laughs) Whether it's mask mandates or it's this or that or whatever it is. You got people on every end of the spectrum and everywhere in between on some of these issues. And it's like, some people just can't deal with that. Just, I just can't forbear people that disagree with my opinion on some of these things. And so I'm going to defriend you, or I'm, gonna, I'm turning you off. And I'm gonna, we can click our tongues all day long about cancel culture and all those things, but if some of us were completely honest, we're guilty of the same thing. You can't stand the thought of, of, of even reading an opposing opinion to yours. That's not gospel wisdom. That leads to gospel defeat when they see people who claim the name of Christ dividing over these issues that are very secondary in nature. We're not talking about the fundamentals of the gospel. We're talking about secondary matters. 
I've seen people, I mean, I, I suppose well-meaning people over the last several weeks, even friends. I mean, just on the vaccine issue alone, I've seen people go from one end of the spectrum, that's, it's the mark of the beast over here, to if you don't get one, you just want to kill your neighbors. It'll make your head swim. I mean, you're just like, what in the world? And you got everything in between then, right? So what happens when that divides believers, Christians, to the point that it really becomes a fragmented relationship, a broken relationship? You think that's gospel victory? No, that, that leads to gospel defeat. We look no different than the world when we act that way. No different than the world. Then I want you to notice finally he talks about our past. And next week we're going to come back to verses 9 through 11 for a closer look. But for now, I want you to just notice how Paul reminds them of a truth that they seem to have forgotten. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That was how Paul described the, the judges, the, the pagan judges before whom the Corinthians were bringing one another in their lawsuits in verse number one, the unrighteous. And here he says, well, now let me show you the destiny of the unrighteous. And he characterizes them in verses nine and 10 by their besetting sins. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is not some sort of exhaustive list, okay, to which we're supposed to point and go, see, if, if, if you're any of these things, you ain't going to heaven. That's not what Paul is suggesting. He's talking about patterns of unrepentant sin that are characterized in these ways, to be sure. Okay, sinners are excluded from the kingdom of God. That's what he says. It's a sobering picture, most definitely. But then he drops the bombshell, right? And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying, Corinthians, here's the real issue that you have lost sight of entirely, which if only you would get it straight in your thinking, it would begin to change you. And the way that you would live now would not be defeat, but would indeed begin to be at last victory. Here's the real issue. You have forgotten that now you are not who you once were. Now that Jesus Christ has erupted into your life through the gospel, everything has changed. You're no longer defined by the old life of sin. And Paul has listed this array of, of sins that define people many times. But he says, now that you have come to know Jesus, they no longer define you. That's not who you are anymore, Corinthians. You've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been sanctified, counted righteous in the sight of God in the heavenly tribunal. Even you have exchanged your prison garments of sin for robes of righteousness through Jesus Christ. It's time for you to start being who you really are. Living out of that identity of who you are in Jesus Christ. It's no, long, no wonder you struggle with conflict, with sin in your heart when you continue to identify by who you used to be and not by who you are now in Jesus Remember, your new, true identity. You have come to Christ, and so the old has gone, and the new has come. Your new creation. Be who you really are. So many times we're tempted to think, well, what I really need is some, 
extra dose of supernatural power, some, some more spiritual juice to power the engine of my soul, to help me be obedient and to be a better person, something more, something new. That's not Paul's counsel at all here. His counsel is not to look for something new, something extra. His counsel, rather, is to go back to what God has already done for you in Jesus Christ, to understand the gospel and your new identity in him, to get that clear, to begin to press it down into every pore and crack and crevice of your spiritual life, to let it percolate all the way through and begin to to live in its light. No longer a slave to sin, no longer mastered by the old life, a child of grace, adopted into God's forever family, born again by the Spirit of God, clean and righteous, not with my own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. You know, I will inherit the kingdom of God. You, believer in Jesus, will inherit the kingdom of God, not because you do not fail, but because you are counted righteous in Christ. That's what Paul's calling us to here. Remember our future. Where we are going now, that we are Christians. We're to be Supreme Court judges one day. Here, we are in training. We ought to live knowing that we will one day, that'll be our destiny. We're to face up to the present. To see those areas in which today we live at such a low ebb, so far below our new identity and standing, so far below the life to which we are called. And we're to repent. To repent. We were part of a ministry for a number of years in our formative years and our training and pastor of the church that we attended at that time had a regular radio program and I worked on the radio station and he would always close his, his radio program, the pastor's corner, with these words, remember whose child you are and whose name you bear. Remember whose child you are and whose name you bear. And if you will really stop and consider that, And then ask yourself, is this petty stuff that I'm so consumed with over here, is that a good reflection of whose child I am and whose name I bear? Is this stuff going to lead ultimately to gospel victory or to gospel defeat? Paul says we're to remember our past, what God has done in Christ at the cross and in our hearts by Christ through the gospel making us new. As we grasp it, we begin to live in its light to be who we really are in Christ Jesus. So if we could for just a moment bow our heads, close our eyes. In these next few moments, You may say, Pastor, I admittedly have some trouble identifying with what the Corinthians were dealing with here. I've never even considered taking a brother or sister to court over some petty issue. I understand that. But there may be some similar areas. Wouldn't be hard for you to connect dots. To make the application that there are some things you're given to, some things that you've prioritized, some things that have consumed you even, that are more a reflection of the old life than they are your new life in Christ. 
especially in this season church leaders even among our own staff right here we've discussed this multiple times how much this unusual season of the last year or so has revealed so much about us it's my prayer that as God convicts you today by his Holy Spirit and through his word you will turn from those things that really characterize the old life you would begin to walk in the light of the life that is yours in Christ Jesus if you're here today and you've never taken that step of faith whereby you turn from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ I invite you to do that today would love to take you aside and share with you from the Word of God today how you can know that you're in a right relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not based upon anything you have done or ever could do, but based entirely upon what Jesus Christ has done for you on your behalf in His substitutionary death. Oh Lord, today help us to be mindful those areas of our lives that in many ways better characterize the old life than our new life in Christ. As we look at the Corinthian believers here, who were given to these things, these frivolous lawsuits and pursuing one another even in courts of law for social standing and for monetary gain and all that that meant ultimately leading to gospel defeat help us O oh Lord to be mindful that there very well could be areas of our life that are much the same help us Lord to pursue righteousness to walk with you in a way that we bring honor and glory to your name lead to gospel victory. Thank you. We praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.